Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Hey everyone, have a seat, and again, thanks for being here. Thank you, team, for, for leading us. Uh, uh, maybe some of you caught us just a little bit later. We had like uh, a few uh, little delays in, in getting started, but I want to add to Janina's welcome, Pastor Michael. I'm uh, so grateful also for our interview. And also, we, we mentioned this, you know, in the Orthodox Church today, it's Easter. So for our Orthodox brothers and sisters, uh, we want to say Happy Easter, and we want to remind ourselves that it's still Easter for us. You know that every Sunday, we are reminded that Jesus was dead, and now he's alive. And we live in that promise. We live in the truth of that. And, and, you know, last week, if you were here, I talked about the fact that because we're a family that embraces the diversity of the world, of people, you know, we want to remember that different Christians around the world, uh, thanks, uh, different Christians around the world, I, I mean, they're learning to worship Jesus in their context. And we get to do that here in Quebec and uh, in Laval. And, and so if you're watching from somewhere else, we're just so happy that you've joined us. Maybe you're listening online on a podcast. Uh, we, we've been in this series, like really trying to help you. Uh, I mean, it's helping me as well, but, but definitely to think about what it means that we're people who now belong to the ways of God, that we're now part of serving God in a way that is meant to, to stir us out of our own selfish ways of life and, and to draw us into this deeper place. Now, you might not know, you know how to say this, but my prayer is that if, we, if you've been listening for the past four weeks, this week four, you have some new language for how to explain why the church and why being the people of God together really matters. You know, if you've never thought of it this way, everybody in the New Testament who we read about in the Bible belong to a church. Just think about that. Everybody in the New Testament who is learning about Jesus sees themselves as belonging to a community of people who are a family. Now, they're in different parts of the world and uh, of the known world at the time, you know, and they're learning how to be with one another and grow. And sometimes they love one another and sometimes they don't. You know, that's just the reality. You know, maybe you're sitting next to someone and you're like, I don't like this person. If you're married to them, there's a class for that and we, we can help with, with tips for that. No, but, but there's a sense that we're learning to love each other because... We then have to go and love our neighbors and we love the world as the people of God. And that's not always easy. And so to begin this morning, maybe to kind of catch up and to help you think about this in a new way, I want to tell you a story, a story I thought about this week. I shared it with my wife. I want you to think of this couple and their dream is to start like to open up a diner. Their dream is to have the best hamburger place in town. How many of you get hungry? You hear that? You're like... Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready to, to eat now, you know? So, so they want to open up this hamburger diner. They're excited, and then they work hard. They sacrifice. They're ready. They have the best name. They have the best branding. They have the best logo. You know, they do this. They open it up, okay? It's ready to go. They're waiting, and the first client comes in. Oh, they're like, oh, it's going to be good. I take a picture. We're going to put it up on the walls. The first clients, first, it's great, right? right? They do this, and the person comes in. And is like, what, what is this place? They're like, oh, it's a hamburger place. It's going to be the best hamburger place ever. And the person says, 
do you, do you guys have like veggie wraps here? And the couple's like, ah, what, what do you mean? Like, it's kind of hamburger outside and the, the, the menu, hamburger, uh, you know. No, but do you have veggie wraps here? And they're like, you know, we don't want to lose, like, we don't want to lose a client. Like, they're like, we don't, but, but just a minute, just a minute. They go in the back, they make a veggie wrap, and they give it to them. They're like, it's okay, okay, so they're ready to go out there. And the next person comes in. They're like, hey, what, what's this place about hamburgers where they're going to best in town? They're like, do you guys have just, like, veggie hot dogs? You have hot dogs here? And the person's like, oh, we, don't, we don't, but we, we don't want you to not come back. Like, we're going to go in the back. We're going to get you a hot dog. We're going to make that for you. We're going to bring They bring it. This goes on and on and on. And after a while, what happens is the people who came to this restaurant, when they tell their friends to go there, they're going to say, I went to this place. It's called a hamburger, but they made me a veggie wrap. It's amazing. Ask for a veggie wrap. And after a while, this, this couple who's like has this hamburger place, they realize they don't even know what they are anymore. They are whatever people asked for when they came into the restaurant. They became that thing. I thought of this story because for many people, that's what the church has become. The church is a place that you come to when you have a need, you're hungry, you have a problem, and you're like, you know, do you guys do this? And because we never learn what the church is, we say to you, whatever you want, like, we'll give you that. Like, what do you, you need help with your marriage? Yeah, we'll become a marriage counseling church. We'll do that. You like small groups? We're going to start small groups for you. you. You want prayer every night? We're going to do that too. You have youth? Let me tell you, we're going to do youth thing too. And after a while, we have all of these things that we do, but we have no idea who we really are supposed to be. This is the world that we live in. This is the temptation of not understanding what the Bible says that the church is for. That the church is the people of God who worship Jesus as Lord, and out of that center of the fact that Jesus was dead, now he's alive, and that we worship him, then we are able to begin to help, care, serve. But the center never changes. You know why this is so important? Because the needs of our world will always change. And we're always going to have to figure out how to be the people of God in a changing world. And so from this center, I want to talk to you about what it means that every day all of us are tempted for the center of who we are to become something else. You're a business leader, Maybe your parent, I feel this. We have all these expectations of what we're supposed to be. You know, the church feels that too. Like, oh, be the, we're going to be that. Oh, what do you need? Okay, we'll do that. We'll do that. And we forget that, wait a second, before we can do any of those things, let's remind ourselves what this is really all about. Like why we're even here to begin with. Because my needs and your needs and the expectations of our world are always going to change. And that's okay. That's just the way it is, right? And so this morning I want to talk to you about how when we learn this, we learn that we are centered in such a way and our lives need to be built from the center out. Okay, this is an important theme in the Bible. Okay, Jesus will talk about this often. He'll talk about that there's something about the center of who we are, which everything flows out of. Like where your treasures are, there your heart will be. What you treasure, there's where your money will go. Where you tre your treasures are, that's what you're going to focus on. That's the, uh, kind of an idea of worship in the Bible. It's that the center of what's going on inside is from where everything will grow. So one of the things I hope that you're learning is that we're inviting you to keep Jesus and what he's doing at the center of everything that we are so that you're learning how to be a person rooted. You're like a plant that's planted in that kind of garden and now you get to grow and become the person God's called you to be out of that center. This is one of the hardest things we will face because we live in a world that's always putting all kinds of pressure on us to be different things all the time. When it comes to the church, there's two challenges I think we will always face in our culture. That the church is tempted oftentimes to either be something cultural or something consumeristic. Okay, if you want to think of two temptations, they're always there. They're very, very like 
They're there. And, and I have a slide for you. You'll just see the slide. You can go to the, just the, the slide I want to begin with. You'll see right here, okay? Church becomes optional when we give in to the temptations to change the center of God's plan. When the center gets kind of moved around to be like, oh, I'm not sure what we're supposed to be about. We'll be whatever you want us to be, right? Like that couple of the restaurants, right? That we start to realize there's all these temptations around that push us into all of these directions. One of them in Quebec, it's very, very unique. Over 80% of people in Quebec say that they're Christians. 80%, over 80%. If you ask them, they would say, yeah, Christian, Catholic, you know, what are they saying? They're saying, I'm culturally part of an idea that's like, something Christian. And if you ask them, well, what would my diet mean, like week to week? They're like, well, whatever. I mean, I don't know. Like, I might visit a church. I've had people, even in my life, people that I know, they find out that like, I'm a pastor, I help at the church. They're like, oh yeah, like I had a neighbor once. I told them that I, you know, I help in a church. And, and she said to me, wow, that's amazing. Like, I don't think I ever met anybody like a, a priest like this. I'm like, are you a Christian? They're like, yeah, yeah, I believe in some Christian things. I'm like, great. And then as we're talking, she says, like, do you sprinkle people's houses with oil? And I was like, no, nowhere. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, olive oil? Like, what kind of oil are we talking about? So you got that? No, okay. And I said, watch, because I think I have ghosts in my house. I'm like, okay. I said, I don't do that. That's insane. No, I didn't say that to them. <laughs> but, but in my head, I thought, that's what it means for church and people like me to be in a culture of yeah we're, yeah, we're Christian, of course, yes, for sure. You see how easy it would be for the center of what it means to be the church, to just move to, like, yeah, yeah, it, you'll come to church, I'll come and do a sprinkling at your house. Will you, will you come visit what we're doing? Will you come help? You see, so there's that temptation that we all face. And then there's the consumeristic temptation, that whatever is needed, whatever, whoever's loudest, you know, I've been in churches over the years. That this, is a ju this is a juicy one. You know, the person who gives the most money gets to decide what the church is about. The person who has the most influence. The person who has the biggest family. I've been in a meeting where somebody got up and held up their wallet. It was amazing. It was like fresh. Because I'd never seen that before. I was like, what does that even mean? Who does this? Big meeting. How come there's nothing for my kids here? You know how much money I give? I'm like, wow. I never forgot it. This is it right here. I was tempted to be like, let's do whatever they, let's do what they want. I mean, they have a lot of money. So let's do what they want. I'm like, no, no, that's not what this is about. And what we want to do in this series is to remember that at the center of what this is all about is about something bigger than the temptations we feel. Because all of us, every single one of us will have this problem. We will think that we, that God exists for our plans instead of us existing for his plans. And the church is the place where we correct that every single week. Every week, I'll say it. Every week, we remind you. Every time, we'll say it. When we're teaching, when we're singing, when we're learning, when we're praying, we're here at the center of what God is doing, not so God is at the center of what we want to do. See the difference? And when you don't learn the difference, the church becomes optional. Because I've been in churches my whole life, and the minute the church becomes something you need, you know what? When you stop needing that thing, you'll stop coming to church. I won't be like, oh, you know, yeah, my kids are grown up. I don't need church anymore. Thanks for the youth ministry. It was great. Oh, wow. Very good. So this morning, I want to show you a passage as we begin to help you understand what it means that God wants to help the center of who you are to be shaped by the fact that Jesus was dead and now he's alive. 
And that truth should be at the center of all of us. Every one of us who's learning to worship Jesus, it flows out of us that when we see pain, when we feel disorder, when we see death, discouragement, we hear in the, in the, the center of who we are that our Jesus has conquered all of death. That our Jesus has conquered all of that pain. That our God has the power to make us people who are shaped and that our lives are built on that promise. And that from there, all the temptations of the world, that they, they will come, I promise you, they will come. They have to be, they're, they're confronted with that truth. Their lives are being built on something else. Not just my need, not just what's happening, not just Twitter, not just it, not just, no, 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 not those things. Because when that happens, church always becomes optional. You know, the beginning of the church, you guys know this, we've been for two, three weeks now, almost in like one chapter of the book of Acts. You're probably tired of this if you've read, like Acts chapter two, Dom, should we read Acts chapter two? Yeah, you should read it. Does it matter? Yes, it matters. Like Acts chapter two, you can read it all week. Just read it. It is the beginning of this idea of Jesus saying, you watch now what I do. When I fill my people with the power that raised me from the dead, you watch. And you'd never have somebody who's a Christian say, I don't want that. I'm not into that. Like, I, I just, I'll come back when I'm in trouble. Everybody in the Bible would have been like, we need whatever you're talking about, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, you do. You're going to need it if you're going to survive any of this. Okay? And he tells them, you wait and see. So last week, a few weeks ago, you can go back and, and watch this. Is You can go watch how we talked about the, Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, and then you remember, like, I gave you this idea for church that maybe will help you, is that the church is kind of like a family, okay? This community and this family. And so I, I want to kind of help you understand how this kind of bubbles up again in the New Testament, and, and I'll explain a little bit about how family, between us, is not the best word to understand the church in just a minute, but it's an important word that we need to use, okay? That in the book of Acts, we have the first decision that the followers of Jesus have to make. I'll give you like just two seconds. Can you think about, if you remember, What's the first decision that the, those who are following Jesus have to make after the resurrection? What's the first decision that they have to make? Just think about it. Just, you don't have to tell anyone because if you're wrong, then I might make fun of you. But just think about it, okay? People in the front, people in the front are like, I hate it here. I should have stayed home with the YouTube people. The YouTube people were right. Just think about it. First, first decision that they have to make. I'll read it for you. Every time I read this passage, I'm like, I'm convicted of, of like this important thing that happens at the beginning. We're told this in the book of Acts, that Peter is talking to the disciples. They say, may another take the place of leadership, and they're talking about Judas. They have to replace Judas as part of the 12 who were with Jesus. This is what they say. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. Beginning from John's baptism, to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, the, ascent, the ascension, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. This is one of the first decisions they have to make. They realize that the 11 have to again become 12. This is an important decision. I, maybe if I was there, would be like, guys, it's not a big deal. 11 is enough. Let's, let's go. We're fine. This is so important because every time I read this passage, I kind of, I'm always convicted. Like, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because I would have maybe looked for other things to look for if we're going to pick somebody to fall, to be the 12th person. I would have been like, is there anybody who fixes boats? 
Anybody here? Anybody good with technology? Is there anybody who, you know, knows somebody who makes maps? Because I think we have to go places. Anybody with that? That's not what they do. They decide that the way they're going to find the next person to lead with them is someone who's understood the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus with them. This is such an important idea for us. It kind of pushes against the idea that we live in a world that often misses that even leadership in the church is not just about how do we solve tasks and how do we fix a problem. And although that's going to be an important thing, God gives us gifts and skills to do those things. That at the beginning of the book of Acts, the beginning of the church, they realize we need someone to be added to our numbers. And they pick someone called Matthias. We actually have a little boy in our church named Matthias. Matthias, if you're watching, Pastor Don misses you. Okay, Matthias comes from the person that they pick. They pick him, they have two people there, and they pick Matthias, and they're like, now you're going to be well with me. This is the image I want you to think of in your mind, okay? I want you to think of this idea that 11 become 12, okay? And now if you're, if you're like into notes, you maybe feel this, you maybe already know why 12 is so important. Why going back to 12 is a really important idea in the Bible, because 12 represents the people of God in the Old Testament, the 12 tribes. So the 12 tribes now are represented by the 12 apostles who now are going to go and be the church and other people are going to become part of this. So this is really important. Because when you don't remember this, being the church always becomes some idea that me and you invented. Remember, like we didn't just make this idea up. It's something that is connected to the story of God moving among his people from the Old Testament. That God called a people to himself. And that people now would go into the world and be his people among other people who don't believe. In the beginning of the church, that's the same idea. So now these 12 are now going to go and they're going to do what Jesus asked them to do. Now you know this, what happens? You know that the 12 will go where Jesus told them to go and they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? They're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and the people who are hearing this, they're like confused out of their minds. They're like, this is the craziest thing we've ever seen. And again, I don't want to go over this again. Last week, I talked about this, okay? You can go back and, and read how everybody who's watching, it's like, we've never seen this before. Like, this is really, really confusing. And the 12, you're going to see it come up again. I'm going to read it for you on the screen. You're going to see it. You're going to be like, I see it right there. Now, now I see it. Now, this is what we're told. Then Peter stood up with the 11. See, right away? Peter didn't just get up to preach because it was a good idea. Peter, can you imagine like all 12 of them standing up? They're like, why all 12 of you standing up? Can't you just one of you stand up? Like, no, no. All 12. Peter stands up. The 11. He stood up with the 11. Raised his voice and addressed the crowd. All the people were there. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Peter now realizes that the people who are there are totally confused. Now, I want you to do this with me. Think of someone that you know that would be so confused if you told them you came to church today. Just think of one person. <laughs> You're like, can I only one? I could think of like 20. You know, just one. They'd be like, what? You woke up early to go to church? I had this interaction with someone this week who had to come to my house to, to check something. And they said, oh, I'm going to be at your house like at 10 o'clock on Sunday. I'm like, oh, about that. It's not going to work. Like, like, why? Like, what do you do? It's in the morning. Everything's so, I'm like, oh, really? Like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So I thought about that person. 
Just think about someone that you know. We live in a time like the Bible times when people were confused about what God was doing. Just, just let that sit with you. It's not like, oh, those are the Bible times and everybody just understood and everybody was just... No, no, people are just confused. And one of the signs of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that Peter is going to explain to them what has just happened. A sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit from the beginning of the church is that we pay attention when other people are confused about the ways of God. One of the indicators that you're really filled with the Spirit is the sense of discernment that we care and want to help people understand when they are confused. And sometimes I find that I didn't grow up thinking of it things that way. I grew up in the, in the way like, oh, you don't understand? Oh, that's because there's sin in your life. Oh, you don't understand? It's because you're a pagan. Oh, you don't understand? Oh, I know why. You're doing the drugs. Are you doing the drugs? Yeah. Like we had all these categories of why they don't, oh, I know why they don't understand. They stayed up late. They, and I feel all these things. I'm like, all those people out there, like, they don't understand because they're bad. And then I read the Bible, and Peter, filled with the Spirit, he's like, oh, wait a second. No, no, you don't understand? Hey, let me, don't be confused. It's not wine. Tell you that much. And Peter's going to be filled with the Spirit, and he's going to do something that every preacher that you'll ever meet wishes they could do. He's going to preach his life away. He's going to preach. We don't know how long it is. It's about like the whole chapter. You can read it. It could be like an hour. People are like hungry. Kids are running around. People spraying water in their parents' face. You know, the billy goat's like, eh, eh. And Peter's like, I I'm not done preaching. It's filled with the Spirit. He doesn't care. It's like, imagine if I preached till 3 o'clock today. How many of you would start to get up and be like, hey, you think Dom will notice if, if like we leave? You, th you think he'll, he'll be mad? Like I can picture Peter preaching and he's like, Anto are you moving? Sit down. Oh, he's just blasting everybody. Filled with the Spirit. It's intense. Every preacher wishes we, we had something like more. Like, what's because we know at the end, over 3,000 people will want to become part of the church. I'm like, what did he say to them? What happened? Now we know what he said, but he explains it. And it's not just Peter's words. It's that Peter is filled and he's there as Peter with the 11. He's speaking and the people realize, this is not just Peter like losing his mind. This is the 12 and the others who are there who've seen Jesus who was dead and now is alive. This is something that we would look for, right? If one person tells you something, you're like, nah, I don't know. You have a bad day. You see an accident, right? And the cop pulls up. And the cop's like, did you see like, the, 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 the car hit the tree? You see what happened? You're like, yeah, I saw it, I saw it. So was there anyone else that saw it? No. Okay. It's going to be hard. It, you know, right away, you know, like, did anyone else see this? That's why it's so important. It's Peter and the 11. The 12 are there, and they're like, listen, don't be confused. Peter's not going crazy. What Peter's about to say to you, we were all there. This is, again, this idea that I was talking to about last week. That from the beginning, the church is a family that is anchored to the story of Israel in the Old Testament. And that's going to be very, very clear that people will understand this into the New Testament. And they're going to have to understand this because no one, no one, no one could ever make it following Jesus alone. You will never, ever survive the world that God sends us into following Jesus by yourself. Never. Never. 
The people who follow Jesus in the Bible who are filled in the Spirit, they're not even dumb enough to try to do it alone. They're like, go at least with 12. And then I meet people who are like, you know, I'm just doing my own thing, a bit of spirituality, a bit of church. I read my Bible devotional. I'm like, yeah, so you're, you're going to do something that even Peter and the apostles didn't do. Why? Because church becomes, oh, whatever. It becomes optional. Instead of saying, no, I'm a part of a family of people who are learning to follow Jesus together. When I go through a difficult time, the church, it's, it's my family. It's, and, and God has, think, just think about this, that God has a place for you in this family. Just think about what that means. You know, when I'm with my kids and we're having, we're having dinner or they're breaking something in my house, I'm like, my, these kids, as much as I want to like, ah, I'm called to form them as those who belong to the family of Jesus. I'm called to be someone who lives and speaks and acts and models for them. What it means that they're not just my kids. They're part of a bigger family. Not just my family. They're part of another family. And that they're learning to, to find their place in that family. And sometimes, depending on your kids, their ages, that can be really hard. Because our kids might not feel that, or they're discouraged, or it doesn't make sense. All of these things are in the story of the Bible. Within about 100 years of the church starting, in the Bible, they are going to face one of the most brutal persecutions. And they will realize, I better hope I'm not alone in this one. I better hope that there's someone who's going to help me through this. And we can take it for granted how raw that was for those Christians. They would have been like, okay, I'm a part of a family. I'm not doing this alone. I'm not just making it up as I go. Others are going to walk with me. Others are going to guide me. Others are praying for me. Others are learning with me. Others are doing this. We're doing this together. And we actually have a document. Let's say you're not a Christian. You don't even believe in this stuff. You're crazy. We actually have documents from the Roman Empire of people writing, saying, we don't know what to do with these Christians. There's actually a, a governor of a region in, in, in the ancient world who's confused about why these Christians still worship Jesus who's dead. They're just confused. They're like, didn't we kill that guy like a long time ago? How is it that you guys still sing songs to him? How is it that you guys act as if he's still alive? And we actually have a document, it's one of the, the very few that we have like this, of a governor writing to an emperor to ask the emperor, what do I do with these crazy Christians? What do we do with them? Like, they, they, don't, they don't keep quiet, they're like, they want to worship. And this happened because of something really important. If you're into history, you like this, this you'll, you'll maybe like this part of the, of the sermon. It's this idea that the Romans in the ancient world where the church is growing, are fine with other people worshiping whoever they want as long as when the Romans call on them, they're ready to also worship the emperor. Pretty simple. The Romans are genius. They're like, let's let everybody just worship who they want. Let, let people like, it's, it's a bit like today. But when it's time to give allegiance to the emperor as a kind of God, they noticed that there were some people who just didn't do that. There were some people who were like, we, we really, we, we, can't, we can't really do that. And I want to read for you this little, little section. You know, this will help you. Like, you know, somebody doesn't believe in church. You're like, you know what? This is not just in the Bible. This is happening in the ancient world. This you'll see behind me. You'll see what it says. This is Pliny, the, uh, Pliny who's a governor who writes to Emperor Trajan. You can go to the slide. It says this, okay? This, think about this. I judged it all more necessary to find out what the truth was by torturing two female slaves who were called deaconesses. This is what he says to us. Is it crazy? But I discovered nothing else but depraved excessive superstition. That's the Romans' name for Christianity. They're crazy superstitious people. I don't know what they're doing. We kill the guy. They still worship him. They're nuts. For the contagion of the superstition has spread 
not only to the cities, but also to the villages and the farms. Can you imagine? Within like 50, 60, 70 years of the church growing, they, this family is growing and the Romans are like, why do you guys keep growing? Because we're not afraid of death. How is it? You know, we're going to kill some of you. We're going to see. And the Romans do that. And they're like, listen, they're telling the truth. They're not afraid of death. And the Romans are trying to figure out, like, what, what do we do? How do we help the, how do we figure out, like, how do we stop this? Well, it's very hard because from the beginning, they understood that they were family. That God was going to be with them and help them and guide them. And we have this, and Peter, he's, he's preaching about this, and he's talking to them in this sermon in the book of Acts. Like, he's filled with the Spirit. Peter, 11, stand up. And after they hear Peter preach, he preaches, I'm not going to go through the whole sermon. You can go through it. Line by line, he's going to reference the Old Testament and he's going to say about what Jesus was doing. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Some of it's hard to understand, but don't, don't quit. Read it. At the end of that sermon, the people tell Peter, what are we supposed to do? What, what do we do next? Can you imagine that powerful moment? This is something a preacher, you know, dreams of. When they're preaching and they're saying, okay, at the end of this, this is what I want you to do. And most people are like, how fast do I get to my car? Like, you're feeling that. You're like, uh, how do I, I got to go. And we're like, no, 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 like, I can't lose you now. The people who listen to Peter preach say, what are we supposed to do? What does this mean for us if this is true? Because you can't preach to us like this and then send us back home and tell us, good luck, have a good day fishing. Like, that's not going to work. You're telling me you guys saw Jesus who was dead come alive? Oh my gosh, call my wife, give me my phone. Like, what are you talking about? Peter's like, you don't believe me? Ask the other 11 who are here. He came to see us. And now we've been filled with the Spirit to tell you that everything is about to change. That the center of your life will never, ever, ever be the same that everything about you is going to be shaped from the inside of this truth out to everything that you do. And this is what we read. That was in the text. Beautiful. Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. By the way, this passage is about us. We were the far off ones. Peter says, it's time for you to understand that there's a practice that Jesus left us that is essential to understanding what it means to be part of this family. It's that you would be baptized. And that you would do, some of you know this, a what? A 180. That's what the Greek word for repent means. It means to decide that instead of living to go that way, you're going to do a 180. Not a 360, by the way, because that's going back the same way. It's a 180. The name of the church comes from that idea in the Bible. You're going to repent and be baptized. And they're like, really? Okay, can we do, oh, how do we do this? Some of you have been, you've been coming, you're listening online, you're, you're listening on a podcast, maybe you're listening from somewhere else. But if you're here, if you're here, Our prayer is that as soon as COVID restrictions are released, 
that you would say, it's time for me to be baptized. It's time for me to make a public declaration of what Jesus has been doing on the inside of me. Other people need to see this. And when people do that, they see that there's a filling of the Spirit there. Something has changed in this person, and God is stirring them because now they're becoming part of this new family together. Now, I want to tell you something really important. Remember I told you that the idea of family in the Bible, it's not always the same the way we think about it. This happens all the time when you learn the Bible. When you learn the Bible, you see a word, and if you read through the ebook that I shared, I did this with the word belong. When you look at the word belong and you think of belong today, it doesn't really mean the same thing all the time. The word family for us means people who kind of live together in a family. In a sense, it's, you can debate about the nucleus of the family, okay? And what's important is for us, many times, if you're in a family, you're just with the people that are in your home. Think about you and your family, right? People that you know. Maybe if you're really friendly, you have like a few people else you let in, but it's your family. And this idea sometimes can miss the beauty of what the Bible says when it uses the word family. I want to tell you one important thing that you have to remember if you're really going to understand the church, that the church is not just a family of people who hang out in a building. We are a family that has been given a mission. This is one of the most unique things that you're not ready for when you read the Bible, that we are a family that is about to be sent out into the world. It's such a different idea than just the idea of a family because I think of my family and I think of staying in my house and not going anywhere. Any of you, those people, you know, you know people like that? They're like, it's, you know, it's cozy. My wife says that sometimes. Oh, it's raining and I want tea. And I hope nobody rings, I hope nobody rings the doorbell, you know. And the other moment, you're like, COVID, it's, it's hard, but, you know, nobody's around. Like, it's like family becomes this comfortable, secure place for you. See, now, I think that's beautiful. Like, it's fine that we have that. But if that's all that family is, we never understand what the Bible means by family that the family of this church, this community, is not like any other family. It's that we gather as a family to then hear God say to us, hey, by the way, I'm sending you out now as my people into the world. You'll see the slide behind me. This is what it says. You can go to the, the next slide. When church becomes optional, the biblical idea of a church as a sent family becomes a self-serving club all the time. This will never, ever, ever not be true. Ever. I die, future generation. This will never, ever not be true. That when us as the people of God are not learning all the time, I could preach this every single Sunday, that we are a family filled with the Spirit to now do something that doesn't come naturally to us. We are sent to go do the things of God to be the people of God. And we need to be filled with the Spirit to do this because all of us, in our human, selfish ways, prefer the family as just a self-serving club, like a country club. We hope people show up who are like us. Wouldn't it be nice? Just more of us. No, it's never going to be that. It never will be that. It never has been that. It's a family that is diverse and different and from the center out is sent into the world. This is good news for us. Because at some point, all of us in this room and those of you listening on this at home, we're not part of this family. And somebody went out to get you. Somebody stepped out of their comfortable world and said, I need to go share about this life-transforming power that 
gives you a new center from which to live your life. Somebody did that. Somebody did that for me. Somebody did that for you. And I don't mean to think of, oh, they went, they were missionaries. Sure, that, that's a calling. It's a special calling. But every one of us is about to be sent out to go into a world, ready for this, that does not even want the good news of Jesus. They don't even care. They don't care. They don't understand. And we are the ones, because we're filled with the Spirit, that we pay attention when they're confused. Right? Peter's like, we were paying attention. People were confused. And we said, hey, how might we help you understand that God wants you to be part of this family? How, how can we explain and share and pray and walk with you and be present with you so that you would know that there's a chair waiting for you as part of this family? All of us are invited into this world. All of us are called to be these kinds of people because we are filled with the Spirit. If none of this matters to you, it's a good time to question on whether you're filled with the Spirit. It's a perfect time. It's actually a perfect time to even wonder whether you're even a Christian. Because there's no way you can read the Bible too far by getting confronted with this. I mean, like, are we part of this family? Yes, we are. I'm going to have you stand and I'm going to close. And I want to encourage you this week to pay attention to things that push against the center of what God is trying to do in your life. To pay attention to the anxieties, the fears, the pressures, the expectations from school, our kids, work, where God is saying, hey, hold the center now. I was dead, and now I'm not alive. And all the things that you feel have been conquered. All the pressures you feel are not about just how you feel because you're part of a family. And this family for thousands of years has been faithful, not just like a hangout, but a place that we gather as a family to be sent out. Not just one or two. Remember, what's the number? They were 12. They were 12. They're like, it's not just Peter like going crazy. Like there's this, all of you, we're all, all of us together. I'm going to pray for you. And as I pray, I want, to, I want to just highlight one person who's part of our family. And a few weeks ago, this person was killed. You can go to the slide. This is a brother, a church in the Coptic, a Coptic a Christian in the Coptic church, part of the Orthodox faith, Christian faith, who was killed. Because he was just leading a church. A businessman who at the center of making money realized that I've been gifted to be someone who teaches people to worship Jesus. And this is what the family said. The family mourned yet celebrate the martyrdom of their Coptic grandfather, Nabil Abashi Salama, who financed the only church in his city. This is what his family said. We are so joyful for him. Can you imagine? Practice saying his name. Because one day, you will see him. And he will ask you, what did you sacrifice so others could be part of this family? What did you do in your time, in your context, to be someone who went, even when there was persecution, 
even when others didn't care, even when you weren't sure, even when people would be confused, you just went. And you said, there's a center from which everything comes from. And that stirs in us to be these kinds of people. I thought about this this week. I had a, a difficult day one week, and I thought, there's brothers and sisters around the world who are part of our family. And one day we will worship with them and meet them, journey with them. Some of you know there's people in our church even now sacrificing. So let's remember that we're not just a family to be like a club. We're being sent out so that others would understand that Jesus is Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today would be a day that for many people, is the day that they heard very clearly by the power of your Spirit that they must be baptized now. That is their time now to publicly understand and to enter the space of this family that's not just a club of people who like each other, but a family of those who are being sent into the world, into our small world even here, to remind others Jesus, that you are alive and that you are making all things new around us, that even in the face of death and pain and suffering, all of the sin of this world will not get the last word because you, Jesus, are building your church and that you, by, by the power of your spirit, are stirring in us to be those people who remind others that they can have life and that they could have a different center by which you shape them and call them to worship you first. I pray for everyone in this room who would feel that they are being sent now. Whatever sent means, whoever they meet next, that they're going with the power of the Spirit as those sent by you. And for those watching online, I pray that you would help us to feel what it means that we're not called to just maybe watch something or be interested in a talk, but that you are filling us still today to be the church. In a world that is still very confused, fill us with your spirit to speak and live in the truth that Jesus is Lord. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.